Good morning, uh, everyone. If you can't hear me, I'm bad with volume on the best of conditions, so please make a signal and I'll do everything I can to um, be louder. Um, wow, so yeah, welcome to the second day um, of this session for those of you who are here. And uh, by extension, to all of the, those of you who are not here, and uh, you may be in front of fans or air conditioning, so uh, <laughs> good for you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so um, it was the strangest thing, I mean, last night for some reason, because I had started a talk before I got here because I knew I wouldn't have much time and then whatever the talk was that I was going to give I realized once I got here everything was just so completely different that um, it was just not a talk I could give so uh, we'll just see what happens here. Um, You know, yesterday morning uh, and today, but especially yesterday morning, because it was the first morning um, of being here and the first morning for some of us being in a session and for a lot of us, even those of us who have been coming to the Zendo for God knows how many years, it was the first time being back in a Zendo, period. And even at the Zendo in the city, you know, the way that we're using the instruments and the services, everything's much more truncated due to um, our new COVID reality. So just hearing the sounds um, of the instruments and the bells and the quiet padding of people's feet and just sort of the way that we're all starting to find our way into this session together. Um, really, I would say rediscovering the form as we go, because it's certainly not the same <laughs> as it was. Of course, none of us can really remember it. Um, <laughs> but it's also showing us the value of that, as it's showing the other side. Of that. Um, but anyway, it was just, I don't know, it was incredibly moving um, and emotional in a way that I did not uh, expect. You know, it was kind of like, you know, in the spring and you see those first, I don't know if they're crocus or whatever, and they're coming through the hard earth and just there they are, like orange and purple and yellow. That's what the bells kind of felt like. So on our first evening, our Shuso Shugo um, nudged us all towards gentleness, uh, which I really appreciated. 
and feels like it has kind of set a tone, which I think we all need all the time, but especially in these times. So I'm hoping it's something we can all maintain uh, as we continue to make mistake after mistake uh, after mistake um, with each other and with ourselves. Um, and to just really try to stay aware of when that voice changes, when it's not so gentle. And maybe you don't need to do anything with it other than just be aware that the tenor inside is different. And maybe start to just see how that might be coloring everything you're feeling and seeing and interacting with. Um, so, you know, it's interesting because for those of you who are not here and are maybe newer to Zen and those of you who are here and are newer to Zen, um, there's something kind of unusually extraordinary happening here because we have this form, as those of you who've been with us uh, for any length of time know, and a lot of Zen is kind of held together by the form, or I should say multiple layers of forms um, that kind of choreograph, in a sense, our relationships. And while on one hand they can seem very strict, on another hand it's very freeing because we don't have to think about everything we're doing. We just know, we just bow three times. It's not like, oh my God, how many times do I bow? Do I bow here or do I bow there? And then for those of us who don't know because we haven't been here, we can just hopefully let go and follow, follow along because it's not about getting it right, but there is something about just being able to follow along. But it's interesting because what's happened is a mix of things. Um, like, I don't know, eight of our most experienced people who usually help choreograph the whole sort of orchestra are all off doing another project um, at the moment. So it's very interesting because the rest of us are sort of steering the ship, but are pretty much all pretty new at what we're doing simultaneously. And then even those of us who are more experienced and are even off in the other room doing the other project can't remember <laughs> what we knew so well or thought we knew so well. But it also makes us see how much of that is relational. You know, like if we were back in the same space, our bodies would know, oh, right, 
now I turn this way, or now I'm moving that way, or here's where I bow. But we're also, even though we're at a familiar place, we're in a completely different space. And so every, like really everything, everything, everything um, is different. Um, so it's kind of interesting. It's like we're remembering, finding, and creating the form that's holding us um, right now, which I mean, we're always doing, but maybe we're not always as aware of it um, as we are now. And, um, you know, I was thinking about how easy it is to take that for granted. Um, uh, just the meaning of form and, and what it's doing. I mean, on one hand, we can see just how provisional, provisional it is, how it's created in response to circumstances, but also how it itself changes circumstances. Um, so, Right now, reality as it is, uh, on so many different levels and dimensions, um, from what's happening physically here to what's happening in the world and what we've been through, I think is really opening and changing our, our perspective on form, um, maybe in some way simultaneously freeing it, but also I think I can safely say for some of us, appreciating the importance of it and, and the value, and the value of it, of continuity and tradition and experience, and not to be bound by them, but to be shaped and guided and held by them. And it's interesting how when we're held, we can actually be more free and relaxed than when we're just sort of flailing around uh, in ultimate freedom, <laughs> trying to create our way from the ground up. Anyway, so... Um, I did just also want to say this because I think it's, I don't know, I think it's important. Um, you know, on one hand, we do, by all means, want to be gentle with ourselves and allow ourselves to make mistakes. And I think that is one of the greatest things about the village Zendo, is the way we do that. But at the same time, there is something about the effort towards trying to get it right. Even if ultimately there is no right, there is something about the intention and the sincerity of effort towards a rightness, which is always relational 
and exists when we don't see it, but we can feel it. Um, you know, I was thinking like in a sense, this is like a giant pot, it's like a giant vessel. And it's really, I would say the sincerity and depth of intention in each of our efforts towards creating this vessel, which will either give it a rightness in its ability to hold us and shape the energy in a unified, generating way, or leaves us all flailing. So, um, be gentle with yourselves and also care about when you hit the bell and how you hit the bell and where you hit the bell and when you bow and where you bow because, you know, it does feel different. And just the effort itself is what makes the difference than just ah, whatever. Okay. So I was thinking about, um, before I came here, I had just was reading through um, one of Rio Khan's uh, poetry books, um, because I was, I guess, feeling a little anxious and stressed about, after all this time leaving for Session, and um, I found this poem that always spoke to me. Um, he says, firewood bundled on my shoulders, I descend a steep path down the green mountain. Occasionally, I rest a while under a tall pine, listening quietly to the spring birds sing. Um, and I don't know, I think in this crazy time in the world and uh, with what's going on in my life, especially trying to just get ready to, to leave, and drop everything, um, there was something very healing, healing to be found here. Um, you know, so when he says, firewood bundled on my shoulders, I descend a steep path down the green mountain. Um, you know, which on one hand, at first can sound, oh, this is very idyllic or sort of austerely romantic. But actually, you know, I suspect he was getting at something kind of different, you know? I mean, it's cold enough that he's carrying firewood on his back. So you can bet that being in the mountains uh, in Japan getting fire, firewood, it's cold. Um, and they don't have like heating. Um, chances are knowing Ryokan, you know, he's just wearing his literally threadbare robe 
and really thin, you know, probably like thongs or sandals on his feet, not his keen boots <laughs> with thermal socks, triple layer. Um, and he's carrying logs on his back, you know, so that's a lot of weight. And he's descending with probably a lot of miles, you know, I don't think it's just a hill. And these mountains are steep, so, and usually craggy as well as green, so um, not an easy descent, uh, as anyone who's climbed anything knows. Uh, often going down can be harder than going up, I think. Jiryu probably knows. <laughs> He's our rock climber and Cation now. Um, And being green, because the mountain is green, he tells us, you know, it's just full of life, you know? Um, so I think our lives, my life certainly, uh, can feel like this a lot of the time. You know, we're each carrying our own particular bundle of firewood, where we could say of dukkha or our suffering. And sometimes the weight of our bundle seems heavier and sometimes it may feel lighter. Uh, but as we know, it's never, never nothing. Uh, whereas we've, she's been quoted a lot lately, lately uh, Roseanne, Rosanna Tana would say, if it's not one thing, it's another. Um, and no matter how it may appear from the outside, um, because it's really easy to say, oh God, if I just had that life, uh, no matter how it may appear from outside, you can be sure that we are each of us carrying not only our own particular burden, but also the larger collective one, even when we don't know it. Descending the path is steep. And depending upon the steepness, at any time these bundles can feel actually overwhelming. And I think what he's offering us is this, as, our, as being almost our cue, uh, if you will, to like, oh, wow, let me just stop here. He says, occasionally I rest a while under a tall pine. So just in the midst of this steep descent, he just occasionally needs to, when it just feels too much, I just stop and I rest a while under a tall pine. 
you know, and I think in order for us to go on, you know, we forget the medicinal and joyful value of just resting. Um, how important that is. Uh, if we're lucky, maybe it is under a tall green pine. For those of us here, maybe it's under a chapel roof. Uh, could also be in a small, hot, sweaty room with clanging bars in Sing Sing prison or any other prison with sirens and horns bleeding, bleeding outside the window, not birds singing. But once we actually really sit down where we are, it doesn't matter where we are. Traversing the Green Mountain, he just sat down under what was right on his path. And in this case, it was a green pine. And here, what does he do? He just listens quietly to the birds singing, which actually, when I stop talking here in Connecticut, they actually are <laughs> quietly just singing. But maybe you're somewhere where it's not birds singing. But it doesn't matter. Um, And, you know, I said as if by magic, because he's not really referring to resting in the ordinary way we think. Although, in one hand, another hand, nothing could be more ordinary. Um, you know, I think he's speaking to a resting of body and mind together. which is quite different than trying to just rest our bodies or just rest our minds. You know, we can go to the most bucolic, relaxing place on earth. But if we're not actually doing something to unwind the tightness in our minds, there's no rest to be found in a restful place. But the power of Zazen is that even in the midst of hell, moments of inner peace can and will and do emerge if we make space for them. And that's our choice because they don't happen by themselves, alas. So the quality of rest,
for our body, minds, and hearts is just so fundamental and it's so easy for us to forget and ignore. And there's a famous Zen thing where they say, cats, dogs, and cows never forget this. They know how to just let go and just be where they are and not lost in what could happen and did happen and might happen and is happening. They're just right now where they are, maybe just fine. Just give me a bowl of water or a blanket or whatever it is, piece of grass. Um, so I think it's largely a recognition of this need that brings us all um, to practice and especially to retreat. Um, because I think for most of us, we actually have to be taught how to lay our burdens down. We're not cats and we're not dogs and we're not cows, you know, we're really complicated uh, human beings who have an uncanny ability to take the simplest thing and make it endlessly complicated. And this is in a world where things are, in fact, actually endlessly complicated. Um, so we actually, you know, have to allow ourselves and encourage ourselves to learn how to do this. Um, and in the modern world, especially now with the phones and the computers and, you know, information and everything else, it's not even natural anymore. You know, if you go someplace to just hang out and take it easy and you don't have your phone with you or whatever, people are like, what do you mean you don't have your phone? You know, like, did you? Um, it's like there's this quality of being on and plugged in by the second. Um, so that said, I think it's exactly that that makes certainly those of us you know, engaging in this practice, but probably any spiritual practice, that we do need a means and a vehicle for doing this, for being able to lay our burdens down, um, even if just for a little bit. Um, and we may find that as we do this, uh, that there's actually no need really to get rid of them, these burdens, um, with some space and a few shifts in perspective. Um, actually, we can just carry on, perhaps in a slightly different way, or perhaps refreshed in the way we've been going. Um, 
but laying them down for even 30 minutes can in fact shift the weight, the balance of how, how we hold them and the load can become lighter and we can continue the path as steep as it is. Um, and, uh, you know, the weight of the world, I think, is probably as heavy as it's ever been right now, at least for most of us in our lifetimes. I'm sure there's been other times and places in history where it has been this dire, uh, but probably not for any of us in this room. So, you know, this load and this suffering is a collective gestalt now. And then we also do have very real personal and individual um, baggage is the, you know, the phraseology we're used to um, that we each are gifted, you know, starting in childhood, <laughs> we start to get our suitcases. Um, and again, you know, it's different for each of us, but it's definitely going to be something, you know, it could be anger, it could be fear, it could be sadness, it could be shame. Uh, a good mix of all of them. Um, but, you know, we've all had our share of trauma shaping much of our unconscious minds, if not our conscious ones, um, which just create these very habitual and deep patterns of activity, um, of our views about ourself and the world and our expectations of ourself and the world and other people that are operating constantly uh, without our being aware of them, you know, and that's the rub. Um, because I'm coming more and more to believe, you know, that it's just our lack or my, I'll say, my lack of awareness um, of how and when they're kind of operating as a barrier to experience of things just as they are, um, that they're the most destructive uh, to myself, certainly, and even though I may not realize it, to others because these barriers can create a withholding or a projecting, you know, in ways that I'm not aware of. You know, but I know because of what happens to me, probably can be hurtful. Uh, and they create, and we've all heard the term, the lenses or glasses through which we uh, 
see the world. And, you know, apparently this is very natural and it's very human. Um, you know, it's not like we're ever not going to have them, you know. Uh, but they become incredibly problematic when we fully believe in their reality, uh, that our ideas uh, are actually solid and not necessarily real outside of our own minds. Um, you know, for myself, shame has been sort of the most damaging, probably, uh, energy. Um, and particularly when I don't recognize it. Uh, for others, it might be anger. Uh, you name it. You know. I mean, the trauma I go through every time I have to speak in public is just, it's so intense. You know, and it has nothing to do with what I do or I don't say. It's like just the experience of being myself here in front of other people um, exposed, uh, you know, triggers everything in my body and my mind that like this is not gonna go well this is not uh, this can't possibly lead anywhere good you know it's just like danger 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 will robinson danger you know i mean it just there is a part of me that actually believes every person in this room who i actually love and you know, have fairly good relationships, you know, is just waiting to get me, you know, or to, and it sounds insane. And when I say it and I recognize it, I can see that, yes, it's insane, but it's also very real. It doesn't matter if it's insane or it's not insane. It is an aspect uh, that's very powerful, you know in my reality. And, you know, the older I get, the more I can see, in a lot of ways, the damage that not seeing that has, has caused. But over time, you know, the practice, along with some therapy, I will say, um, uh, helps us develop that capacity to just listen to ourselves and to become more aware gently, uh, again, as Shuso said. And when we can do that, we are then really embodying what we are trying to practice on the cushion, our zazen. Uh, you know, 
It's not like we have to do anything with this stuff. We can't will, will it away or figure it out away or, well, I think understanding it probably does help, but that's also a lifetime's work. But sometimes just being aware, like, oh, God, here I go again, or oh, let me just, just come back to uh, sitting under that tall pine, uh, even if it's in this seat in front of a microphone. <laughs> it's like, you know, I mean, who would have ever thought, you know, I mean, in a way, this is like my nightmare. <laughs> and yet, <laughs> I really don't know how this happened. <laughs> it's life's a mystery. Um, you know, I will say, though, on the other hand, too, is it's important to not always just think of these things that we have to get rid of, you know. I mean, probably some of you have noticed I've given fewer talks, you know, because there is a part of me that's also trying to practice listening to myself. You know, it is traumatic for me. I joke about it, but, you know. Uh, and so sometimes, um, we maybe need to listen and to not do it and do some more healing or whatever. And then other times, I think it is important to get over ourselves and to just try to let it go and do it anyway and take the risks and push ourselves. And, you know, I think the longer we sit under the pine tree, you know, the more we can just sense of, oh, okay, now I'll get up and keep walking, or maybe, oh, now I better, I just need to just stay under the pine and do some more healing. But we're better able to sense what we need. Uh, to sense what's going on and what's needed for ourselves, and God willing, hopefully for other people. Um, but when we don't listen to ourselves, we sure can't be there for other people. I, can somebody tell me what time it is? Because I really, I realize I have no idea. And I, what? And what time does this supposed to? Oh, so. It's now 1145. <laughs> what time is this? It's 1142. And what time is this supposed to end? 1130. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 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 Can you go back? And I'm actually only. <laughs> this is what happens when I don't talk for a while. <laughs> oh, God. I'm right. They really didn't have anything to say. <laughs> so, uh, okay. Um, I'll just leave you with two quotes because, you know, our study text, you know, what really 
for me was very helpful in my zazen and um, and off the zazen. It's, if you do not propagate thoughts, they will not continue themselves. Just breathing in, just breathing out, sitting under the open sky, weightless as a flame. Even if 84,000 thoughts come and go, each will just simply display itself as the luminosity of perfect knowing itself. If you do not hold on to them and simply allow them to go their own way. So whatever your stuff is, just be present to it, be aware of it, hold it, and let it go. And the next thing will come floating through the sky that is our minds. Um, and I'll leave you with this quote that I just came across by accident. Uh, was this pamphlet of poems from a poetry workshop. Uh, I think it was Roshi who gave years ago. And it's by this Japanese woman poet named Yoshino Yoshiko. As if mending socks, I repair my mind and live.